So this is the Lockdown Football Podcast. This is what you get when a whole load of bored football commentators have got no football to commentate on, nothing to talk about, or at least that was the case until around five o'clock Saturday evening because there's a new Ireland manager. Mick McCarthy has departed, a decision of the FEI subcommittee. And Stephen Kenny, the under-21 boss, is in. That was supposed to happen after Euro 2020, after the playoffs, after the championship of Ireland had qualified. But now, just like Northern Ireland, a state of transitions taking place. Of course, Ireland may not be playing again until September and the resumption of the Nations League. Uh, Will Downing with you for this. I'm joined by three other commentators. Stefan Gioni, formerly of Shelburne and Dundalk, among others, who's now one of the head commentators for ESPN Africa, across Africa. Mark Rodden of Eurosport, ESPN, works for the Bundesliga, but you'll have heard him a lot on Belgian football, on the likes of Premier Sports and on Airsport and Satanta Island before that. And Dimitar Zulai, who commentates for Satanta Ukraine and who's a very well-known commentator in his homeland. Greetings to you all. What have you been doing the last few weeks then? Mark. Lots of gardening. It looks immaculate. It's a great sport, I've got to say, gardening. Lots of exercise keeps you fit, you know. You haven't tried commentating on it like other people have done then? No, it's it's crossed my mind. Maybe there's a market for it. Um, if anyone wants to pay me to commentate on gardening, by all means, get in touch. It's also the first sign of madness. Uh, Stefan, what have you been up to the past few weeks? Yeah, no, look, you know, I've been checking, you know, football news as, as you know, any uh, sports commentator, but uh, also doing, you know, some cooking as a Frenchman. <laughs> Could do commentary on cooking as well. Excellent. You're you're all putting me to shame so far, which isn't very good. Dimitro, you've probably been watching lots of football because it's still going on in countries like Belarus and Tajikistan and Burundi and Nicaragua. Well, yeah, I'm in good spirits now because I did watch a live game of football today and it was a super cup in Tajikistan. But honestly, it was the first in a week probably. And I mostly watched some old games, like from 1960s, for example, Real Madrid and the European Cup they won in 1960 and it's just fantastic you know you just wish you could watch more of those unfortunately that's all you get just two games against Nice and the final against Eintracht Frankfurt from that season but you have time now you know to get back and just watch those games and that's really good for me. Yeah, actually, there's been some old World Cup football that I've been seeing just before we started, which was on BBC One today. And uh, that great Denmark team of the mid-80s beating Uruguay 6-1 in the 86 World Cup. The BBC commentator for which was David Icke. It was that long ago. But in terms of future football, Ireland's next competitive international, which should be the Euro 2020 playoff against Slovakia. Uh, Stephen Kenny is going to be in charge, which is not how it was supposed to be. Mick McCarthy was due to be in charge until the end of the summer until the end of Euro 2020. So presumably, even if Ireland hadn't won the playoff, he'd have taken charge of summer friendlies. And then Stephen Kenny, who's had a successful time so far with the Ireland under-21 team, was going to step up and replace him. But here we are. It's the first weekend of April. And Mark Rodden, Stephen Kenny is the new Ireland boss. Yeah, it's uh, just a very unfortunate situation, isn't it? I think Mick McCarthy is probably one of the first um, people involved in football who's lost out in a big way because of this situation and uh, you have to feel for him but on the other hand not that this could have been predicted but just uh, just the way it is and just the way his contract was it was due to finish at the end of the summer 
something had to be done. I think it's, whether you agree with the decision or not, I think it's good that it hasn't dragged on. For once, uh, with Irish football anyway, it's a situation that's been dealt with relatively quickly and at least we can uh, go forward with a bit clarity. Of course, there is no clarity on when the uh, Euro 2020 playoffs are going to be played, whether it's going to be the autumn, March of next year has been mentioned as well. So in uh, those kind of circumstances, while it's unfortunate for Mick McCarthy, knowing that he's not going to um, stay on no matter what happens in the Euros anyway, maybe it probably suits him in some way as well. But are, are you surprised at the timing of it? I mean, how quickly it's been done. And actually, are you surprised at how tidily it's been done as well? Because basically, a press release has come out, it's a Saturday evening, and job done, and both men have apparently agreed to it. Yeah, look, I guess if everyone is um, happy with the situation um, or is um, as compromised, certainly Mick McCarthy's made a big compromise, probably. But he's always pragmatic, he's a pragmatic manager, so I think he's probably made it. Whether the decision has been made for him or not, um, I'm kind of happy it has. The situation has been resolved because you could say, has it been made swiftly, but or too swiftly? But I mean, there's money involved, um, and then again, just the uncertainty of not knowing when those games will be has to have played a big part as well. Because the arrangement came when John Delaney was still the chief executive of the FAI. Mick McCarthy was appointed. Stephen Kenny was the under-21 boss. And there just seemed to be a little bit of adverse public reaction to it. So within a day or two, it was then announced that, well, it's only for one campaign and then Kenny will replace him. There's no doubting that he, for many years, for 20 years, has been a really talented boss. Like on air this weekend, there's the the League Cup finals where he was in charge in the early days of Derry City and did a great job there. And at Longford, had a spell in Scotland with Dunfermline and there's not many managers who've come out of the Irish game who've gone on and had even a little bit of success in British football came back very successful time again at Derry with a second spell and then ends up as Ireland under 21 boss and quite successfully so too having been magnificent at Dundalk winning title after title yeah well what I would say about that is uh, I've always been a big fan of Stephen Kenny um I worked in the League of Ireland back in 0304 um those couple of years, 05, when he was doing pretty well, you know, lived, I lived in, in Paris a few years, so I've just been checking the, the reaction on the keep. It's fairly high up on their uh, website at the moment because there's not much football news, but interestingly, they've used a photo of uh, Stephen Kenny at the Bac de France in Paris when um, he took Derry there in uh, September 2006, drew the first leg at the Brandywell nil-all, only lost the second leg 2-0. Um, so he's been around the block and even Something that's seen as a failure on his uh, CV, I'd argue, wasn't really as bad as everyone is making out because I follow Scottish football quite closely. And that season at Dunfermline, he took over when there were no hopers. Took it down to the second last day, I think. They just missed out by four points in the end. At one point, it looked like they were going to stay up and they lost the final two games, having gone on a very good run. Also that season, he got Dunfermline into the Scottish Cup final. Um, having beaten Hearts, Hibs and Rangers on the way, all of whom finished in the top six. So um, he's learnt an awful lot. I think he'll have learnt a hell of a lot as Irish under-21 manager as well, and he's done a brilliant job there. And again, he's got a great generation of players to work with. And, you know, again, whether it's four months, five months, six months, 
eight months, he might have uh, a better squad to choose from than uh, Mick had as well, considering some of those younger players will be uh, that bit more experienced. I mean, Ireland are currently top of the European Under-21 group as well. Obviously, they played a couple of games more than Italy. Italy have two games in hand, Iceland in third of two games in hand. But Ireland right now are on 16 points, Italy 13. Iceland are down on nine. There's a good chance of qualifying for the playoffs at the very least. I mean, what now for the Under-21s? Again, that's uh, that's something that has to be sorted out, but... um... Our next game is in October in that competition against Italy, so uh, there's a bit of time, I suppose, to to assess things and um, work out what's going to happen there. Certainly, they're in a great position to qualify. Almost uh, would be very unfortunate from where they are not to qualify, so uh, that gives you an idea of uh, how well Stephen Kenny's done there because Ireland have never qualified for a, a, an under-21 championship. I mean, I'd have to say as well, I've I've dealt with both men down through the years in various different roles. Mick McCarthy most recently in terms of the media has been on Virgin Media Sport where yourself and I are are commentators as well and obviously Stephen Kenny for many years I think everybody's dealt with him he's been a really top class boss for the last 20 years but Stefan Johnny you're a former Dundalk player and I I presume you know Stephen personally as well like what do you make of this? It it does help a lot because if Ireland had, had made it to the tournament and and had done well and I know there are a few ifs there but there might have been a lot of pressure on Mick McCarthy to stay on as boss from the public yeah I think you know if you look at you know Mick McCarthy situation obviously the Euro like 2020 has been postponed and and pushed you know for next year and uh, I think you know Mick McCarthy is living with a big paycheck apparently like we're talking about you know seven figures so he's not leaving you know the FAI or the uh, national uh, team empty handed basically that's the first thing and the thing is you know Mick McCarthy before jumping to us uh, uh, Stephen Kenny every time you know has been shown the uh, the Irish team has done you know to me like anyway a very good job like and has been very successful going to the World Cup in Saipan you know despite you know the walking you know situation uh, has done really well I know he's been to uh, Ipswich, you know, before joining, you know, the FAI, the the national team, with very limited resources done. And again, you know, very good job. And uh, and still, like, you know, managed, you know, to pull, you know, the Irish team to the uh, playoff for the uh, Euro 2020. And um, I think uh, it's going to be a big step up for Stephen Kenny. I know, like, uh, he's done quite well at club level with Dundalk when they, they uh, qualify for the uh, Euro during the group stage done quite well as well, despite with limited resources. Uh, but still, like moving from the under-21 uh, international level, uh, going to um, taking over Mick McCarthy, it's going to be a, a challenge And uh, in playing Slovakia. We don't know yet, but things will have to move very quickly and the pressure is going to be on because he's, he's the head of the national team and uh, it's not the under-21. So he, he will have to deliver at you know the international level. And... Uh, Obviously, it appears that this is the same case with Brian Kerr. Like, it was quite unanimous by the Irish people that Brian Kerr was going to be the next manager. That's exactly the same thing we know. Or, or things, you know, ended up, especially with, you know, that game against France, you know, in uh, in Dublin was the last, you know, 1-0. Okay. Thierry Henry's goal. I mean, I hope, like, uh, Stephen Kennedy will be successful. He will need a bit of time. But as you know, like, international level... It's quite ruthless. If you don't get, you know, uh, positive results, if you don't qualify, things, you know, will have to be looked at and to see if he's got the the ability to um, uh, to qualify Ireland for the for Euro 2020. I know it's quite early stage, but then for the World Cup. Yeah, I mean, it's a different 
domain, international football, having had something like 500 games in charge domestically in Ireland, and he won the League of Ireland title six times, five with Dundalk, three FAI Cups, seven League Cups. But in saying all that, as under-21 boss, he's had 12 games in charge, and he's only lost twice. I understand that, you know, Will, but that's a big, big gap. You know, you're talking about 21 football, and... uh... Again, like Mart, touch base on, you know, a good generation of Irish players going through. But still, like those players, you know, mainly are, are you know, in the, uh, well, some primary clubs or championship clubs. But those players need, you know, to play regularly top-level football to be able to perform at, you know, the international level. And that will take time. So that's, you know, to be the challenge. The challenge to put a team together between experienced players and uh, young, promising uh, talent from different clubs in, in England. But ultimately, like, you know, those players need to play regularly top-level football if you want to perform at the biggest stage at international level. And that's going to be very tricky. Uh, and all the other 21, you know, done really well. And then, but, you know, from 21 to, to play a full international game is going to be... Uh, very, very difficult. How many players can do that? I'm not too sure from the, the 21 squad. I know they talk about Troll Parrot, but Troll Parrot, is he, you know, is he, has he got the full potential to play for Spurs at the minute? You know, obviously Mourinho, I know he played, you know, uh, some games. Well, I was substituted a few times, you know, came as a sub, you know, uh, for some of the games, but has he got the full potential, you know, to lead, you know, Spurs attack? You know, I know you have Harry Kane, but if, he, if you're really good, you know, at that age, you will be playing regularly for, for Tottenham. As he, you know, does he need to maybe to go, you know, on loan to championship or, you know, maybe to go to a different league, you know, broad, like to gain experience and more game time? And probably, like, you know, that's what he needs to do, you know, to step up again. Like, a young carry, he's a very young player, obviously talented, but to make, you know, the level, you need to get, as I said, you know, game time, and play regularly top-level football. It's going to be with Spurs, I don't know, but surely, like, you know, maybe he's going on loan to uh, maybe to a championship club where he's, he's guaranteed to play at least 30, 35 games a season. Maybe that's, you know, could be the solution for him, you know, to, uh, to gain that experience. I think that's a very important point that Stefan is making, and it's the real thing that I've noticed watching um, a lot of youth football over the last few years is just that Irish players, until the last couple of years, really haven't, you know, that, that bridging that gap between, say, under 18 to men's football has been a real problem. Um, because I think up to under 18, we've, we've always had pretty good teams. But once we get to 21s, I remember a game um, September 2018, um, out in Tala, Ireland's under 21s played Germany. And uh, we, I was at it, we lost 6 0. This was not. An amazing German team. There was uh, Lukas Klostermann, who's at Leipzig. Alexander Nubel, um, who's going to move to Bayern Munich, a goalkeeper in the summer. He didn't have anything to do in the game, of course. But the difference wasn't necessarily that they were of a much better technical standard. There was that difference. But the main thing was they looked like men. They looked like professional football players. Whereas our lads, most of them weren't getting any game time at that time. Um, whereas you look through, and as I say, it wasn't a brilliant German under-21 side, but that team that turned up in, in Tala, they had a clutch, or most of them had played, you know, 30, 40, 50 Bundesliga games already. You know, Benjamin Hendricks had moved for 20 million to Monaco that summer. Suat Serdar had come on at half time, made a 10 million move. I think that's crucial and something Stephen Kenny will be making sure 
that those players um, that he's taken charge of at 21 level will be looking to do is get game time. So you've seen Leo Connor and Jonathan Afalabi join Celtic, but they've both gone out on loan to Partick Thistle and Dunfermline in the Scottish second tier in January. And I think that's going to be key over the next six months or a year or so as well, that all these really talented young players get their chance. Again, we cover Belgian football. And we can talk about that as well. Just so many young Belgian players get their chance in a competitive environment in a proper league, as opposed to playing under twenty-three football with English clubs. And that's you know that's exactly the point. You know, Mark, you you know you're making it like you know if you playing under twenty-three in the uh, some of the Premier clubs like or the Championship clubs, you know, it's not going to help you like you know to reach you know. Um, a certain level, you know, when you're especially playing for Ireland, you need to play regularly, like at least in the championship or the Premier League. Ideally, like, you know, in the top five clubs in the championship, ideally, if you can be in the top 10, you know, in the Premier League, that'd be, you know, ideal for Ireland. But you have to be realistic as well with the potential because there's so many players in the 21 who will be more or less playing with the under 23. And, and but, you know, making, you know, the bench. It's not enough, like, you know, in the Premier League club, the Championship clubs, you need to play regularly. And and as we all know, like, the Premier League and the Championship are so competitive that, you know, the tendency is to look abroad, like, to look for talented players and, and put them in on the table to attract, you know, the best players, you know, from France, Italy, Spain, Portugal. And it's a very competitive market. Should they look at, you know, maybe uh, different options, you know, going to the Netherlands, Belgium, where they give more chance, you know, to young players, well, you know, that's, you know, different discussion, but that could benefit, you know, Ireland on the long-term run or mid-term run and ultimately Stephen Kenny. But it's not, you know, Stephen Kenny's decision. He can, you know, guide some players, but also the agents, you know, have a huge part to play, you know, in, in the clubs, obviously. And if they can see uh, the players developing in a different club and benefiting, benefiting from that, uh, going back, you know, to uh, a Premier League club or a Championship club. But the thing is, you know, the decision has to be made at some point. But the trick part is going to be, yes, you know, to find a combination between, you know, experienced players transitioning, you know, from Mick McCarthy into, uh, well, Stephen Skinny style and brand of football and then find, you know, that's, that's you know, a young generation will come through and, and deliver, you know, what's expecting for Marlon to qualify, let's say, for Euro 2020 and, or the, the World Cup in Qatar. But it's funny, what Mark was saying a few moments ago, like I used to commentate in quite a few under-21 internationals, and I remember Ireland playing Italy in Waterford about four years ago, around Easter 2016, and Ireland took the lead in that, and Jack Byrne was playing in it. He was on loan at the time in the Netherlands, in the Eredivisie with Cambor, and like they were relegated that season, but he still had a very good campaign with them, scored a few very good goals. And it was a really young, inexperienced Ireland team. They ended up losing 4-1, but Italy had... Donnarumma in goal in his first major season as a first-team goalkeeper with AC Milan. And obviously, he's moved on to the uh, Italian senior team since then. And like Italy were all over Ireland. And Ireland were picking players out, n- not just domestic-based players, but I'm just looking at the squad list from the day. Sean Long of Braintree Town. There was Jack Connors of Boreham Wood. Brian Lenehan, fair enough, of Hull City. He was a very talented player uh, in his time. But there were a lot of players. Uh, Barry had someone as well, Ian Lawler, substitute goalkeeper. So, I mean, Ireland's under-21 sides have been quite heavily dispopulated or unpopulated, if you like, for many years. And Stephen Kenny's come in in the space of, of a dozen games 
and has really seemed to have revitalised them. And it's the first time in a long time in which we appear to have a very good competitive under-21 side. Dimitri, you've been listening to all this interestingly. What do you make of today's news then? Well, first of all, we knew Stephen Kenny would be Ireland manager. It just happens earlier than expected. Also in this situation, and it was so many times, and I'm not talking here about FAI, about any football federation, sometimes we're criticizing them for reacting slowly, you know, for making a decision on time. Now they did make a decision. And it's also very important for players to know, for manager, for the new managers to know, okay, he's doing this. Also, I went to Tala when under-21s played Armenia at the beginning of this uh, qualifying cycle. I watched other games. And I can tell you that I really enjoyed watching them play football. There are a lot of good players in that team. As Stefan mentioned, yes, the experience they can get in the clubs is crucial. But also, this group of players with this manager in the under-21s already has shown their potential. Also, all four of us, we've attended uh, games at the under-17 European Championship in Ireland. And sometimes I was really amazed how local press were describing their own team. They did well in the tournament. They couldn't progress. Yes, the game against Greece, the draw against Greece, just didn't let them go to the, the next stage. But again, they had some good players. They, the Joe Hodge was fantastic, and uh, the team worked as a unit. So I think there is a group of players in Irish football now, under-21s, under-17s, under-19s, that can hugely benefit the national team Probably, of course, not right against Slovakia in those playoffs, but in the next qualifying campaign for the World Cup in 2022. And Stephen Kenny, which is what I think, it's Stephen Kenny is a manager to do that because he knows those players. He worked with a lot of those players. And his style of play, I think, will be beneficial to the national team as well. I understand what you're saying, Mitro, but, you know, the, my, my, you know, I mean, looking at, you know, international level, you can't really compare the 21 football to, you know, the international level. It's, it's, again, you know, it's a huge gap. And to bridge that, you know, the players, again, you know, not playing to some level, at club level. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yes, like, Stefan. You know, I understand that. But the thing is, if you do not give them a chance, if you do not give them time to grow into this role, you would never know if they're good enough for it or not. That's the only way. Unfortunately, you know, mm. you don't have a local league where they can get a lot of experience and play in European competitions like French players do, like Italian or German players do, like Mark was mentioned in German players. But yeah, in Bundesliga, they can, they can have like 100 games in Bundesliga by the age of 21. It's not a case for most of Irish players, unfortunately. So you have to work with what you have. But, you know, I think, you know, the difference is like, you know, if you look at international team, you pick your best players. Ultimately, like, you know, it's not club level. It's not a club level. It means like you don't have time, you know, to coach, train the players technically, tactically. And that's a major difference. Basically, when Steve and Kenny, who, who any like uh, international coach has to put a team together, they have to look at, yeah, obviously, like the group, like they can live together, you know, for like, you know, five or six, seven days playing two games. But also, he has to pick his best players. And ultimately, like, if you have a young generation on 21, probably of that on 21, one, two, three, maybe players will make, you know, the top level in the Premier League, maybe. I'm not sure about that. 
And after that, how many will make it in the championship? You know, another, you know, small percentage. And the rest probably going back to League of Honor. And some of them are playing the League of Honor as well. And uh, so it's going to be very difficult, you know, to pick and choose, you know, from the players. It's very difficult to predict, you know, the future of those players as well. But we're talking about, you know, instant results, you know, at that level. So it's not club level when you can say, look, are the players that can develop the players, you know, for the next, you know, six, six seven months. It's not the case. You pick your best player at the time. You try to put a group together and the same type of players coming back in. And they know exactly, like, you know, the environment. They know the manager. They know the expectations of, you know, Stephen Skinny. And that's going to be, it's going to be very challenging. It's of a new course. Era, it's a new manager. I think, you know, the FAI don't have, you know, much expectations about, you know, the game in Slovakia. To qualify for the Euro 2020 is going to be, you know, I'm not saying a miracle, but it's going to be very difficult. Being at the FAI for the last, you know, few months, you expect a bit of continuity in terms of the squad, you know, uh, selection from me, McCarthy to Stephen Skinny. Results will dictate, you know, his faith in, in terms of staying, you know, in charge of the... Uh, Irish national team. I'm just, I'm just wondering what results are we talking about? Just game against Slovakia, or, or it was I was, I was mostly talking about the qualification for the World Cup in Qatar, which is okay. totally different. Well, I mean, we're going back to exactly the same thing. Like, how many players will come through? Like, and that's very difficult, you know, to predict that. You know, midfield. I mean, qualifying to Qatar, that's you know the main objective. Yeah, 2000, you know, uh, uh, 22 and. Uh, but still, like, you have to put a, a team together and, you know, find, you know, the players will be competitive enough, you know, for the next two seasons uh, to go to Qatar. And, uh, and you know, because we were talking about the 21 to make, to step up to the uh, national team. I mean, it's a big ask. It's a big ask. Well, I'd say Stephen Kenny is, is a pretty smart guy. And I think um, a lot of people would have thought that uh, the Stephen Kenny taking over from Mick McCarthy plan was uh, something dreamed up by John Delaney to try and uh, save his skin but um, Stephen Kenny you know he, he would have known that this is from 17s to 21s it's uh, I've been saying it for a while watching a lot of these guys come through that um, it's the best set of players that we've had at that level in a long long time and so he's got a better chance of getting more players from that group and the fact whether it was by accident or design, the fact he ended up as under-21 manager has worked out really well because they know him, a lot of these players who might come through and want to come through. They've got results with him. He'll get a generation, hopefully, that will have Stephen Kenny's uh, way of playing in mind. They know what he wants immediately when they step up. He'll have Euro 2020 playoff whenever it happens. It's it's a 50-50 thing, I think. You know, it's difficult circumstances, but he'll have the Nations League as well to try and blood in a few more players. And if you look back to, you know, Stephen Kenny insisted on getting Ireland into the Toulon tournament last summer for the first time in many years. And a lot of those guys have made a lot of progress. Creven Keller has played for Liverpool a few times. Um, Aaron Connolly was part of that squad, you know, scored those goals against Spurs. Adam Ida, hat-trick in the FA Cup, played at Old Trafford for Norwich. Troy Parrott couldn't, wasn't allowed to play in that tournament. Jason Knight is scoring lots of goals for Derby this there's lots of guys who have already made a lot of progress in the past six months, and that gives you hope for the last eight months or so since that tournament, and that gives you hope that they will develop a bit more um, by the time, if we're talking realistically, the next World Cup is the target. You know, absolute bonus, I think, if we get to Euro 2020. Um, then Stephen Kenny, by the time the start of the World Cup qualifiers comes around, will have at least a better 
selection of players to choose from overall, I think. But we have a scenario as well where the European under-19s, the European under-17s are no longer on this summer. The under-17s cancelled altogether. The Ireland senior team won't be playing again until September at the very earliest. And surely the same with the under-21s because if and when football gets going, there's a whole load of league title races to be finished off. Uh, UEFA have said they're going to hold off on continuing in the Champions League and the Europa League until the domestic leagues are finished. And like, international football at the moment is taking a back seat. So may there not have been a thought that there doesn't really need to be an Ireland manager at the moment. There doesn't need to be Mick McCarthy on reasonably high wages. Push him to one side. If there has to be a payoff, so be it put Stephen Kenny in place, who perhaps may be on a little bit less money, but it means that right now it doesn't look like there's an under-21 boss. There is an Ireland boss, a different Ireland boss, so it looks as if one wage is being saved at the very least. Could it have been a financial decision? 100%. Yeah, I, I, agree. Think. I agree. I mean, we're talking about, you know, I think, you know, uh, an exit fee of seven figures for Mick McCarthy. I don't, you know, I'm not sure about that. You know, that's what, you know, I heard, but he didn't leave like empty-handed, obviously. It was a compromise, I think, between the FAI and Mick McCarthy and uh, knowing that anyway with what's happening now with the, the uh, coronavirus, but uh, that, you know, ultimately, like Stephen Kenny will, will be in charge, you know, in uh, after the Euro. But with the situation, the FAI and uh, rightly so, you know, pointed out by, you know, Mito that uh, they make the right decision to me, like to uh, make the announcement, you know, pretty quickly and, and the players know exactly where they're going now. So we now have the new Ireland management team confirmed. Stephen Kenny in charge, of course, as assistants. Keith Andrews, Damien Duff and Alan Kelly all moving up from the under-21s. Jim Crawford is the new under-21 boss. He'd been in charge at the lower age grades, part of the great Shelburne team of the 90s. He's the new under-21 manager and he'll be assisted by John O'Shea. I mean, when we were thinking about topics for this program we did not think that something like this would crop up it's definitely sort of very much come out of the blue um obviously the more global topics we'll come to in a sec generally a positive thing then is it or is it a bit unfortunate for mick mccarthy that it should end like this well i mean to me like uh, you, you know you can it's difficult to choose you know uh, you know you you know the way you want to uh, to leave, you know, on a high note, or you know, I mean, that's unfortunately you can, you know, you cannot predict, you know, what, you know, what hap- what's happening. But uh, I mean, Nick McCarthy to me has done a very good job. Like every time he took, you know, charge of the Irish team, and he's done really well. And um, finishing like that, yes, you know, it would have been a better, you know, a set of uh, like qualifying to the Euro 2020 and 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 doing well, like for that competition. But that's the way it is, and you have to accept it and uh, and move on, basically. And move on we shall. The situation in Belgium has caught a lot of attention over the past 48 hours because the board of the Belgian Pro League have decided that their season will end now. has to be ratified at a committee meeting on the 15th of April. All of the clubs will have a say in that. It had looked as if it was quite unanimous between all the clubs that the season should end now. Club Bruges would be champions for the third time in five seasons and with three different coaches and Philippe Clermont would be a title-winning boss in successive seasons with Racing Genk last season and Club Bruges in this. It would mean a couple of other things. Charleroi in third place would have their highest finish since 1969, their second highest finish ever. They were runners-up in 69 and Anderlecht would finish eighth and that would be their lowest finish since 1938. But since then, UEFA have come out a couple of times and their president, Alexander Sheffrin, saying that 
Belgian clubs are now risking their positions in European football, the Champions League and the Europa League next season by calling their league early. It's not an official decision yet. That has to be ratified by that meeting on the 15th of April. And I guess, Mark, there's now a severe possibility that the train of thought in Belgium is going to reverse and that they'll probably have to keep playing. Um, The reason that they came to this decision was because the Belgian government said there will be no public events, no sport, no nothing until the 30th of June at the earliest. And that corresponds with the date when the Belgian season always has to end. Yeah, well, there's lots of talks ongoing. Last night, apparently, there was a discussion between the head of the... um, Belgian Federation and um, the head of UEFA, and they're still trying to um, push ahead with uh, closing off the league. You know, they've released a fairly positive uh, statement, the uh, Belgian FA today, um, suggesting that a constructive solution is on the cards, so uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Um, The worry, I guess, for UEFA, which is often the case, is money, and uh, I saw one of the Belgian papers suggesting that, like, you know, five to six billion is on the line if this creates a domino effect and lots of other leagues um, follow suit and uh, decide that it's there's no point playing on or there's no point trying to finish this season. Because um, I think that the Dutch and the, and the Swiss are thinking along those lines. You have to remember that Belgium, their league starts a lot earlier than other leagues, same with Switzerland. Um, so there would be chaos really if they uh, ended up playing into uh, June or July but then on the other hand you have the Bundesliga apparently looking to start again at the beginning of May. I guess we won't know anything until uh, the um, Belgian clubs meet again on April 15th but you would have to think that particularly smaller leagues you can understand their situation they don't have uh, the financial backing or TV backing that the likes of the Premier League or Bundesliga would have um, you would have to think another few uh, countries are thinking, well, maybe we should shoot up shop and just write this season off. You know, we, we've got, you know, the feeling that, yeah, they're pushing, you know, to to come back, you know, as early as they can. And uh, I heard, like, you know, I was told anyway, Schalke and Ulfi, you know, was back training this week. Plenty of teams are back in training, actually. But um, it seems, according to Kicker anyway, that um, there is a sort of push now to uh, to get it started. Germany are doing quite well as far as uh, the coronavirus is concerned, yeah. as well as you can do in uh, in that context. But um, it seems that everyone in the top two divisions in Germany is is happy enough if things continue that way to start in May and hopefully finish off the season by the end of June, which would be uh, quite mm-hmm. an achievement given what uh, has gone on. Yeah, and again, like yesterday, I was talking to one of uh, one of the uh, Belgium journalists, you know cover as well you know some of the belgium games and he was telling me basically that you know uh, yes there will be a meeting um the uh, club's committee next week and the on the pro league and discussing um oh, so on the 15th of april uh and there's basically 24 professional clubs in in um in belgium and um apparently according to him that uh 17 clubs 17 clubs are in favor you know cancelling and stopping basically the um uh, the pro the uh, belgian pro league However, to ratify the decision, because it's just a proposal, you know, nothing has been, you know, cancelled or whatsoever, just, you know, suspended at the minute, you know, the league is suspended, but it's not cancelled. And it's just a proposal from the Pro League, and but they need 80% of those clubs to ratify it. That's, you know, the threshold they need to, uh, to reach, and basically 17 clubs is not enough. In favour of, of stopping the uh, Belgium League is Club Bruges, however, 
the other clubs uh, obviously uh, don't want you know the league to stop will be like you know Ghent, Charleroi, Antwerp, Stanley, Mekel and Ghent, but also a pen, which is you know there's nothing you know, to gain for a pen, maybe a qualification for a, a primary round in the Europa League next season. However, the, the decision will be made next week. Proximus also the uh, TV right holder understand the situation apparently uh, the money has been paid to every club so it's not you know a tv money right all the issue whatsoever it's just a club making a decision in terms of uh, if they want to continue or not but as you as you mentioned there's clubs who wants to can hope anyway to play the primary rounds of the champions league next season and some clubs you know could also like appeal because they could you know like vaston beverin fighting you know for uh, to mm-hmm. avoid, you know, relegation, and uh, so it's going to be a very interesting uh, meeting on the 15th of April for the the, the Belgium League, and then to see exactly uh, where, where we're going. And uh, as you say, like UEFA put a lot of pressure because they had a conference call yesterday morning for about an hour with you know the Pro League, and uh, and they will be under the follow-up call next week uh, mm-hmm. with the Pro League with UEFA. Uh, to see if they can find a kind of a compromise, and uh, because I think you know in Europe the idea is to, uh, despite you know the current climate, obviously, uh, to uh, finish you know the league, and uh, as a major you know uh, uh, leagues like uh, the Premier League, uh, the Bundesliga, the um, La Liga, and or the League One or the Serie A, there's uh, a desire of finishing you know the league, obviously for very reason for financial reason because some of the clubs you know need. Uh, well, you know, some of the clubs, you know, it's about, you know, surviving uh, the crisis. But, I mean, from a Belgian point of view as well, what sort of colours the situation is that the TV rights move to a new broadcaster. They're going to 11 sports next season. So, in essence, that's perhaps one of the reasons why all of the money's been paid. There is... Uh a proposal that Waslin Beveren, who are the bottom side, would stay up, and that the two teams who are in the Division 1B playoff, the second flight, who are Beerscott and Leuven, would come up as well, and it would be an 18-team league, so no relegation in two teams promoted instead of one. But, I mean, you have a situation. UEFA have said that they want everybody to complete their season. They don't want seasons to be curtailed. They don't want seasons to be declared null and void. And they don't want seasons, as in the case of Belgium, to be called. And that's it. Whoever's top is champion. Uh, Spain right now, there are 11 rounds to go. Barcelona are only top by two points from Real Madrid. So it's one of their best title runs in years. And in Italy, where Juventus have dominated for a long time, they've won eight titles in a row. They're only a point clear of Lazio right now. The top five in Germany is the divided by only eight points. So you've got major title races in, in three of the five big leagues right now. I think we're just all very optimistic when we discuss when football will be back because we're in a very unusual situation. Uh, and uh, in this situation, we cannot listen to chief executives of the football leagues or to president of UEFA. We have to listen to doctors. We have to listen to those who know and who understand the situation. If they tell you you cannot play until, let's say, September or October, then you cannot play. And you cannot uh, see and fantasize about who's going to win the league. So I think, for me, actually, I'm for season 1920 being finished even in 2021, if needed. But the season must be finished in every single country as soon as it is possible to play without any problems for the health 
of everyone involved. Because when they talk about playing in May in Germany, no matter how well they're doing it in that country, this is just ridiculous. You know, you, you just realize that it's not about football now. Yeah, yeah, it's about money. But in Germany, they're talking about doing it behind closed doors to start with. Another issue, maybe, well, there's a few issues that's creating a head- headache everywhere. One, players' contracts are going to be up in June. Two, a lot of clubs depend on transfer fees and they surely won't be as big or may, maybe a lot of moves won't happen. That might have happened this summer. And another interesting thing, yeah. um, one of the Belgian papers, Le Dernier, brought up today was what happens if Belgium cancels the league, if it's made official on April 15th? What happens if a player says, well, I'm missing out on a couple of months pay, win bonuses, all that kind of thing. Uh, all the other leagues in Europe are continuing. UEFA have said the season should be finished. So there could be legal headaches all over the place for in, in Belgium if they go that route. But then on the other hand, like you're saying, Dimitro, you can totally understand why they'd want to. You know, it's, it seems a bit ridiculous to be talking about when we'll play football again. No, because the thing is, yeah, you, you, you just you, you hear it every single day. You know, even today, you know, that we're talking in Argentina about playing in May and there are other countries all over the world, you know, who are thinking about that. And you just realize people still don't really understand how unprecedented that situation is. And it's something that affects absolutely everyone. So contracts of the players. Yeah, that's a big issue. But again, it's unprecedented. So you just have to find a decision as you move on, because until you have a clear signal from the doctors, okay, it's more or less fine now to play. Maybe even in the empty stadiums, because, well, I don't think they will allow people into the stadiums, even in September or October. So even if you can play in an empty stadium, let's say, in autumn, well, go on play and finish the season and try to solve it so everyone will actually finish the season and then we have to think about the next one as well because the next one probably considering that European Championship will be in 2021 in the summer. Now you have to probably play, I don't know, a shorter season <laughs> next one or whatever. It's just there, there are so many issues, so many headaches, but that's because the situation is absolutely unique. Yeah, but I agree. Like, you know, the, obviously the, the main topic is that, you know, every country is like, you know, they will have to listen to the... Uh, more or less, you know, the uh, the head of, you know, the uh, health, you know, authority and uh, and make a decision on that. What you're talking about, you're looking at, you know, the perspective of a league coming back at some point. But, you know, it's like any industries, finance, banking, whatever, you know, the, the, the economy will have to come back at some point. And uh, they will have to find, you know, presumably like at some point decisions, you know, have to be made in terms of, you know, is this going to be a slow process coming back? Not more, you know, what we were before, but... Uh, an environment where it would be safe for everyone to uh, to be able to work, basically. And uh, as I say, like you know, the huge you know financial reason that for any industries to come back and and you know try to accommodate uh, workers or, or people like you know to uh, simply to do the day to day jobs. And, uh, and like any industries, any businesses, they need you know to uh, to to pay employees. And uh, it's not only the players because as you as you know, like uh, you know, a football club is only you know you've got admin people, you know running the club, it's going to be very challenging. And as you, as you say, Mitro and authorities, governments, you know, have to make decisions, not only for the football industry, but for any, any businesses. And uh, until, like, it's going to be clear and uh, and you've got, you know, some good news. Yes, I think, you know, football clubs, going back to the football again, 
they want okay indications, which is very difficult they need to to give, and uh, but at least some indications if. There will be like, you know, an option, you know, to start maybe, they're talking about June and July and dates have been pushed back, you know, to a certain extent. And uh, is it feasible? Of course, you know, I think, the, you know, the leagues will play, you know, behind closed doors. There won't be absolutely no one. Of the, I can't imagine, you know, like supporters and fans going to the um, to the stadiums to watch the games. I don't think, you know, it's going to be possible. But ultimately, we're talking about, you know, TV rights because there's a lot of leagues and, and clubs are depending on the TV money. And that's, you know, ultimately that the problem, you know, facing some of the... Uh, major clubs in Europe. I know, like, yeah, we're talking about half a billion, like, you know, last, you know, few weeks already, like, and it's huge for some of the clubs in the top clubs as well. And uh, I know, like, for in France, uh, Beansport and Canal Plus, you know, stop, you know, payments. Uh, they, they were due, like, you know, Beansport were due to pay 42 million to the clubs, you know, in, in League One and Canal Plus was one ten million, 10 million, which is huge, you know, for any clubs, you know, and for, not only for clubs, for any, like, you know, businesses, it's, uh, it's a huge loss. And uh, so discussion will take place, obviously. And I heard like Sky Sports, you know, want to engage discussion with the Premier League and the Bundesliga is exactly the same. La Liga presumably will do the same. There's uh, question marks all over. And uh, ultimately, it's, yeah, it's down to the authorities, you know, and governments, you know, to make a decision and, clear, and give a clear indication, not only for sport, but for businesses in general, like, you know, to, uh, well, hopefully to see a bit of a, a light in the tunnel. There is definitely a plan in England for football to come back very soon because the famous Saturday afternoon blackout that's been in Britain since 1960 where no live football can be shown between uh, 2.45 and 5.15, that has been lifted by UEFA in the past 24 hours. There's only three countries that has such a ban in place, Scotland and Montenegro are the other two. But this weekend... The plan was this would be the weekend when all football would be back. And then obviously that got bumped to the end of April. It's looking like it's all being bumped towards the end of June in certain countries now. And I suppose there's another point that there's nobody alive now who was an adult the last time there was a global pandemic, which was in 1918-19. And that covered two winters. So that's why I thought the plan by Belgium was perhaps a little bit premature in sacrificing this season so that next season would kick off on time. But next season could be worse. We may only have two or three months of football covering the nine months of next season because the coronavirus could come back. It, it, it may not go away for a year or so. So why sacrifice this season for a season in the future which may not happen at all? Yeah, it's also very strange that they've sacrificed the season but not the Belgian Cup final which was due to be played on March 22nd. And that will go ahead at some point. When does it go ahead? Does it go ahead at some point during next season? Well, the new league season is going on. I don't know. Uh, the other thing as well is that they were hoping to get the final round of games, which is due to be played from memory around the 15th of March. It would have been played behind closed doors, but then that was called off 48 hours in advance by the Belgian government saying that everything was shutting down immediately. And had they got that round of fixtures done, then the regular season would have been over. All 16 teams would have played each other home and away. And then they probably would have had a better legal standpoint of cancelling the playoffs and saying, well, everybody has played each other twice, as happens in most other countries. So Club Bruges are justifiably champions. But by doing it before the end of the regular season, it leaves the door for other establishments to say, well, you have to complete your regular season. And now because you've tried to act early, well... Listen, it was in the rules of the start of the scene. You play 40 rounds, 10 rounds of playoffs, and that's what you're going to do. Well, I mean, some maybe some of the leagues, you know, if let's say, you know, if football can come back by, you know, the end of August, uh, some, let's say by June or July, and leagues, you know, cannot be played, 
Uh, I'm sure they have, you know, a contingency plan at league level, and I'm sure the UEFA will have to look into it as well. Uh, but so far, you know, we can speculate, as we discussed previously, like it's just, you know, unprecedented, you know, event, you know, we've never seen that before. And uh, it's something, you know, will impact, you know, everyone and uh, organizations, uh, clubs, governments, you know, they're looking at, you know, more or less, you know, day by day. And uh, it's difficult to predict, you know, the future. Maybe in a month's time, you know, the environment will be more like uh, favorable, you know, to, you know, bring the players, you know, back training. I don't know, like, you know, just pure speculation. You know, it's difficult to plan something, you know, but what we know, like, for a fact that UEFA and FIFA, you know, delayed, you know, well pushed, you know, and, and deferred, you know, the uh, uh, some of the international competition to ensure that, you know, the league will finish. Yes, maybe in August. I know in the Dutch league they're talking about, they will have a meeting on Tuesday uh, with uh, the uh, KNVB and some of the, uh, the clubs. Uh, at least you have some kind of directions. I know Ajax wants to stop, PSV and AZ want to stop, you know, the uh, the league. Even though, like, you know, the uh, uh, Dutch, you know, uh, TV, uh, Fox on the rights, you know, for the uh, Dutch league. And uh, and they still have to pay, you know, 22 million for the rest of the season. And uh, the clubs, you know, uh, may never get that money. And uh, and Ajax will get, you know, the, the, the biggest portion of the money. I think it's 2.5 million. And, uh, and after that, you know, the smaller clubs will get less. And... But ultimately, like, you know, decision will have to come, you know, from, you know, the uh, pro leagues, you know, the federations and then dictated by, you know, the decision done by the governments uh, at, you know, the national level. And, uh, and based on that, maybe, you know, the leagues could be back, you know, maybe in July and August and finishing by August. But then you have the question about, you know, the next season, when do we start? And the players, little time, you know, to recover and start, you know, the next season is going to be a problem. And, you know, the contract as well, because contract, you know, as Mark mentioned, they stop, you know, by the 30th of June. You know, we're talking about doing addendum to extend, you know, the, the contracts on the players, you know, by maybe a month. There's a lot of questions, you know, to be asked, you know, legally. And uh, it's going to be uh, extremely difficult, you know, to deal with. I think we have to look at, you know, compromising, you know, at, at you know, all levels, you know, to if we want to see the end of, you know, the, uh, the season. Well, it was looking like in advance that we were going to spend a lot of time talking about the Belarus League being the only one left in Europe that's still playing. It's their third weekend of games. And probably, if we do come back and do another one of these, we'll, we'll probably talk about the Belarus League quite a lot. But... There's been a goal, Will. Dinamo Brest, nil. Slavia, Mozir, one. 75 minutes in. Penalty. Uh, penalty. 64 minutes. Andre Chukle. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Well, that's great. Listeners, they're all going to become household names for us in the next few weeks. There's no doubt about it. We'll probably all be working on it very soon, the way things are going. Don't forget about the Klaus Suar in Nicaragua as well tonight. There's two games. Yeah, and Istik Lol won that Super Cup in Tajikistan, coming from behind to beat Kuzjan by two goals to one. I mean, Dimitro, you, you coming from a neighbouring nation in, in Ukraine... Why have they decided to go ahead? I, I mean, having been there, having worked there last summer at the European Games, it looks to me as if they managed to keep the number of cases low, officially at least, because it's a very difficult country to get into and out of. Belarus. Well, uh, you have to understand one thing. Even in countries like United Kingdom and United States of America, you had idiots running the countries who were shaking hands saying they will be shaking hands and then telling okay i've got a virus now so imagine belarus where they have the same guy for almost 30 years he tells them ah, it's fine doesn't matter 
But then one game from this round was moved from Vitebsk to Borisov simply because the situation is getting worse in Vitebsk. All the major fan groups of all the big clubs in Belarus said they would not attend those games. So it is a ridiculous decision. It's a pathetic decision, but it's a very typical decision for the country where one guy decides everything. So, yeah, we can talk a lot about, yeah, ah, they are playing, there is a game here, there is a goal there. But honestly, they shouldn't be playing because they do have cases. Because, okay, in Tajikistan, at least officially, they say there are no cases of coronavirus yet, even though they played that Super Cup today behind closed doors. So I don't know what to say about a guy who runs a country like that, but that's the way he is. He's been like that all the time, and I don't think he will change in a minute or two. Well, one thing which has changed is the scoreline in Brest because Slavia Mozir have got a second goal, apparently. So they're 2-0 up away to Dinamo Brest now, which, of course, for a podcast that somebody could be listening to in three or four days' time means absolutely nothing. But still, there's a live goal update for you. This is pretty big news. Alexander, you know, caught clear off 77 uh, minutes. Yeah, second goal. Yeah, here you go. But the thing as well, from Belarus's point of view, uh, financially it's good for them as well because they're the only football that's going on in Europe right now. The Cup semi-finals, which are two-legged home and away, they're on Wednesday and they've already been sold to something like 12 nations in Europe and eight in Asia. And that's a situation that they haven't had before. Uh, they, they have a position perhaps where they would want to go on for a few weeks because people outside Belarus are now paying attention to their football, which hasn't happened before. Not saying it's right or wrong, perhaps a, a logical human nature for them. No, look, I spoke to my old boss today. Actually, he's the guy who is selling all those international rights now. And he said, I don't know if it's true or not, but he said even BT contacted him about the rights for the Belarus League or Cup, I don't know, but it was about the football in Belarus. So we're talking here about BT Sport. <laughs> So, yeah, there is an interest because, well, we all need that. You know, we, we love football. So, But also, again, I, I just want to get back to that point. When it's just not important now. The football is not important now. And we can quote Bill Shankly again and again and again. But, well, it's just not important, especially in this particular time. Even though, yeah, yeah sometimes you just want to watch a game and stuff. We just need to wait and hope that there will be a solution and people will stop suffering from that. Well, it's got us through an hour of lockdown, at least. Absolutely. Well, um, so the usual podcast things, if you liked it, then please like it and rate it and so on and tell all your friends, both of them. And um, hey, if this was successful... And if it's going to be like this for the next six months, we'll probably be back again with another edition. But until uh, next time, from Mark Rodden, Stefan Johnny, Dimitri July, and me, Will Downing, thank you for listening, and goodbye.